Welcome to Freedom, Becoming Fully Alive. We're just starting the second part of this overall series, which is entitled, Getting Your Whole Heart Back. Did you know that we are in a war zone? In spiritual terms, maybe you thought that the war was over. You may be thinking, I thought Satan was defeated. Well, it kind of reminds me of what's going on in Iraq in these days. Saddam Hussein has been dethroned. Uh, the people of uh, that land have been liberated by the forces that went over there. But there's still skirmishes going on. And uh, we know that those who have the same spirit of Saddam Hussein and those who are loyal to him are still involved in attacking those that are over there. And, and so it is with us. Uh, Satan has been overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. He is a defeated foe. Jesus came to set the captives free. He came to destroy the works of the devil. It's all true. The blood of the lamb has been, has been uh, shed for us, but we're still in a war zone. And there are arrows that are flying by day that are seeking to lodge in our hearts and, and to destroy us. He's a thief. He's a liar and he wants to kill, devour, and destroy. But I'm so glad for the reality of John 10.10, 10, the other half of John 10.10, 10, that says Jesus came to give life and to give it abundantly. And I'm thankful for the good news that's on the cover of your outline today, Psalm 91.5, that says, You will not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day. We're entering into a series, and the title of this message today is Free from the Message of the Arrows. We'll be talking about six different arrows in the coming weeks. I'll give you an overview today, and in the next six weeks, we'll go into more detail. The arrow of pride, the arrow of shame, the arrow of fear, rejection, anger, and depression. Let's pray as you open your hearts and as I open mine to receive what the Lord has for us today. Lord, bless this time. Bless this time, Lord. We know we're in a war zone. We know the battle is for our hearts. We know the enemy wants to destroy. The enemy wants to steal the glory of God, put a damper on the glory of God being manifest in this day. But Lord, we are a people that simply will not allow that to happen. And I pray that as we come together today, even today, we'll be more motivated than ever before and even a fresh inspiration today that we're going to get the arrows out. We're going to get the arrows out. No more arrows. Arrow-free living so that the glory of God can come alive in us. And that's what you're up to, Lord. The glory of God, man fully alive. That's what you want, Lord. That's what we were made for, Lord. And may today, may today be a session, a time together that works toward that end. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, your outline is before you. The session titles are before you. And today, we're going to talk about free from the message of the arrows. I've already made reference to Isaiah 61, where it says, Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. He loves to do that. He loves to do that. He loves to heal the brokenhearted. And I, and I really see that uh, there are four streams flowing in this day, four streams of ministry. 
and uh, all of us have need at different times. But I would say one stream was, would be discipleship, another would be counseling, another would be healing, and a fourth would be deliverance. And I really believe that when you take a look at what freedom is all about, this ministry, Sunday morning, Wednesday night, and an opportunity for individual ministry, I really believe that all four of those streams are captured. When it comes to discipleship, we're not just talking about teaching somebody how to lead another person to the Lord, and we master that. We're talking about a life lived. We're talking about uh, living the Christian life by his power and by his strength and by his anointing. And what that'll include influencing others. That will include being salt and light. That will include leading others to the saving knowledge of him. But he wants us to be devout followers of him, filled with the Holy Spirit, living life on his terms, becoming fully alive as disciples, followers, of Jesus Christ. And then there are counseling issues that need to be faced. It doesn't mean that our lives have to be falling apart before we seek such help. Sometimes it's a, it's a case of there are issues in our heart that are not resolved, things in the past that are affecting us in the present. Uh, wounds, rejection, shame, unforgiveness, and, and these things are going to affect us. They're going to affect our relationship with the Lord. They're going to affect our relationship with others. These things are curable. We can address these things. We can be free. We can learn what it means to forgive and seek forgiveness and, and confront others on God's terms and relate to others on God's terms. We can be free from that shame, free from that rejection. We can come to living a life where we agree with God and agree with his indwelling life. And then there's the stream of healing, and, and that's going to be a special focus here on on uh, Sunday mornings in the next seven weeks because God wants to heal the brokenhearted. And, and obviously, if we've been uh, run through with a, with a sword or uh, if, there's a, if, if there's an arrow lodged in our hearts, that's going to do damage. And, and there's going to be a need to have that arrow removed and for healing to come. Inside-out healing, not superficial healing. Inside-out healing, getting the poison out not just getting the arrow out, getting the poison out and having his healing balm come in and having his spirit come in in all his fullness. And then there's the stream of deliverance. And sometimes the enemy has got a foothold in our life. And uh, he's influencing us in ways that we don't even realize. And if we don't have the arrows out, if we're not coming into a revelation of who we are in Christ as sons and daughters, if we're not growing in confidence as, as to who we are, I mean, if the verdict is still out as to who I am, I'm not going to have much confidence. I'm going to be going around trying to make the best of things, trying to survive. I won't be thriving. And when the enemy attacks, I'm going to think, what have I got to say? What can I do? What authority do I have? If I do pray, it probably won't make any difference anyway. I'm not even convinced God loves me. That's not, that doesn't spell confidence. So God wants there to be a Holy Spirit confidence so that when we tell the enemy to get out of here, it's not because we're saying it by our authority or on, by, by virtue of our name, but it's the indwelling life of Christ, and I know I'm a son, and this is part of my inheritance. And the enemy has been overcome by the by the blood of the Lamb and the word of my testimony and the reality of, of, of the indwelling work and life of Christ and who I am in him. So as these four streams flow, 
Enter into the river, enter into the streams, and let God do what he wants to do, making us fully alive so that the glory of God comes forth. The Lord doesn't have in mind for us to be limping through life and trying to make the best of it. He, I don't think he's impressed if we try to survive. He wants us to th thrive and to fully come alive. So today we're going to talk about the uh, six arrows that we will be talking about in more detail in the weeks to come. But we're going to start with the arrow of pride. The thought occurs to me that as we've come into the room today, many of us may have several of these arrows lodged in our hearts. Now, why and how would the arrow of pride apply? Well, let's talk about that. As you look at your outline, you'll see that the arrow of pride is an issue of significance. If you are trying to find meaning, purpose, and identity in life, apart from Jesus Christ, it's going to be a setup. It is going to, get, it's going to be a setup. You are going to get wounded because you'll have expectations of people, places, and things. You'll look to others for acceptance. You'll look to others for value and validation. Or you'll look to accomplishments or uh, status to define you. But we're, we're looking in the wrong place. My question is, in light of that, what is your opinion of yourself? Now, your first thought might be, well, I hope this is not going to be some kind of a uh, self-image thing, you know, is this going to be all about uh, us feeling better about ourselves and having a good self-image and, you know, if you just feel better about yourself, then you'll be able to treat others better. That's not what this is about. So you can rest your heart at ease. Just a question. What is your opinion of yourself? Underneath that, it's going to, it would be interesting. I've had the opportunity of sitting down with you and talking about that one-on-one, -on -one, and you shared what your opinion was, it would be interesting to hear what you're basing that opinion on and who, or whose, plural, who in your life has influenced that opinion. Now, ultimately, you will either let God have the last say about you or you will have the last say about you. Now, you may be living for somebody else's approval, but you'll be the one that, have, that you're putting them in that place. So it's either God having the last say or you're having the last say. But what are you basing it on? What do you think others think of you? Do you ever think that you have to prove yourself to anybody, to God, to others, to yourself? Let's look at Romans 12.3. Romans 12.3. As you turn there, and you can look it up later and settle in, meditate on it, but basically, essence, basically the essence of Romans 12.3 is all about don't think too highly of yourself. And we're thinking, well, yeah, I know all about that. We shouldn't be arrogant, right? We shouldn't be prideful, right? We shouldn't think we're so hot, right? But it goes on to say have a sober opinion of yourself. So we can say, don't think too highly. We could also say, don't think too lowly. Don't think too much about yourself. Don't be preoccupied with yourself. Don't always have yourself on your mind, like I was always on my mind. The book, there's actually a book by that title, I was always on my mind. So are you always on your mind, trying to be better, or thinking about 
how poorly you're doing. Either way, who's on our mind? What is life all about? What is our focus? So Romans 12, 3, I really believe, gives us, gives us God's perspective. Don't think too highly. Don't think too lowly. Don't think too much. Just agree with him. That's a sober opinion of ourselves. And as it says in Romans, uh, excuse me, James 4.10, uh, I'll just, there's a whole passage leading up to that, but it says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. He will be the one to give your life definition and significance, in other words. Let him be the one to lift you up. Let him be the one to define you. So have you been looking for meaning, purpose, identity, apart from Jesus Christ, who he is, who he wants to be to you? Have you allowed him to be the definer of your life and your identity? Have you ever thought that if you get upset with yourself, you're trusting yourself? And that's really a form of pride. We tend to think that the only face of pride is arrogance. Here I am, you lucky people, pride. But that is just one face. It's just as much pride to be angry with myself. Because if I'm angry, then I'm not getting it done, and who am I trusting? If I, the fact that I'm angry is proof that I think I ought to. I ought to be able to get it done. I ought to be different by now. I ought to be able to achieve that. I should be able to stop doing thus and so. I ought to be better. Who are we trusting? That's what makes it pride. And of course, that all started, the pride problem all started and originated back in the Garden of Eden when the serpent made his proposal, you will not die the day of you eat of this fruit, you will not die, but you will be as gods, knowing good and evil. And there it is, the desire, the aim, the goal to have that place. We don't think of it that way. How many of us get up every morning, or even before we surrendered our lives to Jesus, and how many of us got up and said, oh, how can I play God today? How many lives can I can control? No, but we were living for ourselves. We were at the center. It was all about us. We were always on our mind, and we were calling the shots, being as God. We didn't think of it that way, but in essence, it was that way because there's only room for one. He's either going to be God of our lives or we're going to be God of our lives. And the enemy of our soul is the one who wanted to be as the Most High. So he's the one that went to Adam and Eve and said, you can be. God's antidote, agree with him. Base your significance in him. How would your life be different today? How would mine be different today if our significance was based in Jesus Christ, his shed blood, who we are in him, his opinion of us, his sufficiency. He's the one that gives us significance. He's at the heart of all that we need and want and desire. He is the center. 
And it's not like we become spiritual recluses at that point and head for the mountains and think, well, I'll just spend all day praying and praising God. And I get along great with God. It's people I have trouble with, so I got to get away from them. No, no, no. When we allow him to define us, then we see he turns it around and that everything that we're a part of no longer defines us. When we show up, we give definition to it. Not just because we walk in the room with our buttons busting and saying, well, here I am. But whether, no matter what our personality is like, our presence, our confidence in the Lord, uh, the security that we have in him, our identity being secure in him, we know who we are, we know why we're here, we know what he wants, we're up to and wanting to be about our father's business. So we actually give definition to what we're involved in. We actually influence it. It doesn't define us. We give definition to it. Wouldn't it be wonderful to live life that way? Now, don't expect everybody to agree with that. Don't expect a, a, a democratic consensus. Oh, I'm so glad you showed up, Dave. We, you're giving definition to this. Realize that when you show up and the glory of God shows up, some people are going to get bumped and they don't want you to show up. They'll be jealous of you. They'll backbite. They'll undermine. They'll compete. They don't want it. Then you know who you are. In ultimate terms, when Jesus walked on planet Earth, he was the ultimate manifestation. What kind of a response did he get? <laughs> he wasn't a victim. He came to do the will of the Father, but they crucified him. The religious didn't want anything to do with the glory he brought to the table. They wanted to be in control. God's antidote, humility, agree with God about yourself. Then there's the arrow of shame. It's an issue of identity. All of these do flow together. Issue of identity, which relates to what I'm saying already, because if we are looking for meaning, purpose, and identity in life apart from Jesus Christ, the whole issue of shame does relate. What happens with shame is that we allow that the things that we've done or haven't done or the things that have been done to us to have such a defining effect on us that it's not enough that there's some guilt associated with those things, whether it's my guilt or somebody else's guilt, but we actually allow that guilt to penetrate and give us a false identity. So for somebody who has been abused, we'll say in a devastating sexual way, uh, and they would come away from that, and if it's not resolved, they could embrace a false identity that I'm evil, I'm dirty, and sexually abused is who I am. You know, I'm, I'm not a whole person. They've identified with what's happened to them. Or if they've been raised in a home, alcoholic, other areas of sin and dysfunction, they, they identify with their parents, they identify with the family, they identify with family sins, they identify with what's going on around them, they embrace it as their own guilt by association, that's who I am. And then you add to that a steady diet of you'll never amount to anything and we all fail, so the enemy will be happy to say, look where you failed, look where you failed, look at this abandonment, look at this rejection, they didn't want you, they left you, you failed here, you failed there, what, what dad says is true, what mom says is true, and you're thinking, man, alive, there's a case. This, the, the, they're right, I, I, I am 
who they say I am. It's, a, it's false, though, because what does God say? Oh, he'll look at the truth. He won't ignore the sin. He's holy. He won't minimize anything, but he has a remedy. Here are some questions. Is there anything in your life that you're hiding or covering up? Is there anything in your life, past or present, that you would be afraid of certain people finding out? Do you feel a greater sense of shame over your own sins and shortcomings or for those acts or omissions committed against you? What is a greater sense of shame or guilt today? Your own failures or how you have been wronged in different ways? It may be a combo, but does it lean one way or another with more intensity? Do you struggle with feelings of unworthiness of God's love and favor? You may think, well, it's real up here, but it's never become real here. But we want to get the arrow out, and then it's going to become real here. As long as the arrow is here, it won't be real here. But God wants to give revelation. God wants to make it real right here. Proverbs 18, 3, part B says, it speaks of, of, of disgrace. With shame comes disgrace. With shame comes disgrace. And if you take a look at that word, disgrace, D-I-S, not Grace, favor, not favor, and so it is. So it is. Many of us feel far from being favored people, far from favored sons and daughters. With shame comes disgrace, whether it's our own sin and shame or whether it's the shame of sins committed against us. And then I think of the story of the prodigal son who sinned and ended up in the distant land and blew the inheritance, and, but he finally came to his senses and ended up in the pig pen. And, and after he repented, he was going to go back to his father, but he said, as he was rehearsing his confession, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be a son. Make me a hired hand. How many of us are willing to settle for being a hired hand today. How can we let that happen? Oh, yes, there's something in us that says, well, don't, don't get too carried away here, Steve. Don't think too highly of yourself, Steve. What do you think? You know you deserve to be burning in hell right now. You don't deserve anything, Steve, so don't get carried away. Don't get carried away. Oh, yes, the, the, all we have to do is look at the parable of the, of the prodigal son, and while that son was a long way off, the father ran after him. That's our Heavenly Father's attitude as we turn and move toward Him. He's all over us, no matter what you've done or haven't done. That doesn't mean He's minimizing anything, but He made us for relationship. He wants to embrace us as His own. He wants to, he wants to move in and make us His sons and daughters, move in by His Spirit, transform our life, pull the arrows out, cause us to come fully alive. He doesn't want us to stay in the pig pen. He doesn't want us to settle for the distant land. He doesn't want us to settle for the status quo. He doesn't want us to settle for being hired hands or the female equivalent, servant girls. He wants us to be sons and daughters and happy about it, glad about it, embracing our inheritance. Oh, yes, don't react to the, those that have been guilty of presumption. Don't, don't react to those who, who are not the example that you want to follow. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about Jesus. He is the example. He is wonderful. 
He is the one, and he is the one that uh, is pursuing us today. No matter what, no matter what, no matter what. Oh, yes, there will be those that will throw stones and rocks, and they'll file, fire arrows too, and they'll be an instrument of the enemy in firing arrows into your heart. But let's pull that arrow out today. It's not who we are. It's not what we were made for. But what is the antidote? The antidote is receive, receive. Add this to your outline. Receive your sonship. Your outline says sonship. Receive, participate, receive your sonship. You are a favored son or daughter. Remember, we're not the sum total of our life's experiences or some defining part thereof. We are who God says we are. He wants to have the last say. Will we let him have the last say instead of, but, 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 well, how about this? Well, but, 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 well, I did fail, but, 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 I'm, I'm still tempted, but, 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 let it go. Let it go. Let him have the last say. Participate. Receive. Receive. The first antidote, agree with God. Humility. On this antidote with shame, receive, receive your sonship or daughterhood. You are a favored son or daughter. That's what we were made for. That's who he wants us to embrace. That's, that's the identity he wants us to embrace. And then, and then, live like it. <laughs> He's not saying, okay, I've made you a son and a daughter, and now just go back to the pig pen or just, you know, cope and, and, and try to survive. No, 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 no. I've made you a son or daughter. I've given you a fresh start. I've, I've put you, I've propelled you onto a path of freedom. Now live like a son or daughter. Don't try to live up to being one. I've made you one. Live like one. Just in the same way where we tend to think, well, other things externally define us, turn it around. Let us define every situation. In this situation, rather than other things defining us in, in terms of feeling like we've got to live up to and perform. And well, when I find, okay, 95%, 97%, oh, but I think I made it today. I think I acted like a son or a daughter today. I think I had a pretty good day. I must be one today. No, 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 it's nothing to live up to. Who will, who will we have our eyes on if we live that way? And what is that? Nothing to live up to. Nothing to prove. Receive your sonship and your daughterhood. And go and sin no more. And go and live like a son and daughter. I'll give you the power, says the Lord. We're going to take just a moment here to reflect on what's been said so far. Reflect on these questions, even this last one. Do you struggle with feelings of unworthiness of God's love? Don't, let, don't make that the issue. He's counted us worthy. And now that brings us to the next arrow. The next arrow, the arrow of fear. The arrow of fear. All these arrows are so significant. Any one or more of these arrows can affect the glory of God being manifest. And of course, the last question that I posed to you before we took a little pause, do you struggle with feelings of 
unworthiness, unworthiness of God's love. Is that a fear issue? Is that a shame issue? Is that a pride issue? If we struggle with unworthiness, humility would say, agree with God. He's counted you worthy. Receive his love. If we embrace the antidote for shame, embrace and receive your sonship. He's counted you worthy. He has purchased you as his own. The arrow of fear, the issue there is security. What is your greatest fear? Are you afraid to be known by others? Could it be that if they get to know you and what you're really like, which we hear people say so often, if you knew what I was really like, you wouldn't think I was so wonderful. Part of what God has put in me, and I really believe it's the Father heart of God, and that is to tell people what he thinks of them. And that often includes me telling people, you're wonderful. And it isn't just something that I say to everybody, because I like to say it, like a, a, a Steve-ism, if you will, but I really believe it's the Father heart of God. And I believe he would want you to receive it as opposed to discounting and thinking, well, if you know Steve, you know he tells everybody that. So it really doesn't mean anything, right? Since he tells everybody, the fact that he's telling me means it really doesn't mean anything. Who does that sound like? It doesn't sound like the Father, our wonderful Father, who wants to pour it on. Well, could it be that if you don't think you're wonderful, in his eyes, in essence, with eyes of destiny, with what he has for you and what he's made you for, then could it be that you are putting some other things into the equation and basing your worth and value on? Are you afraid to be known? How real is the love of God for you, his love for you? Do you really believe that God wants to take care of you? Ah, now we have another distinction here. You think he wants to take care of you. That's the kind of love that I believe is, is, uh, is being referred to in 1 John 4.18 when it says, perfect love casts out all fear. It's the love that says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. It's the love that says, I will love you with an everlasting love. It's the love that says, I'm committed to you. It's the love that says, I want to, I want to, I want to take care of you. It's not, I don't have to, I don't have to. I'm God, I have to, you know, I gotta, I've said it, so now I've got to do it. You know, I'm stuck with you. No, I want to. I want to. There's affection there. Affection. The want to. That's powerful when we receive that. And even 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares, because we're going to have cares at times. We're going to have struggles at times. Cast all your cares on him, for he cares for you. He's the God who sees and he cares. He cares. Do you believe that? Receive the antidote, God's perfect love. Receive God's perfect love. That is the antidote for fear. Do you see so far in what we've talked about, in order to get these arrows out, we must participate. Healing and deliverance is not something that we just 
show up for and something that's done to us. Okay, I'm going to put myself in the room. Now do it to me. No. It's important that we put ourselves in position, of course. The prodigal son did come back and he got himself in position. He got himself within range, so to speak, of the father to go after him. So he did need to repent. The father wasn't going to come to the pig pen. But when the son was coming back to the father, the father went after him. So as your heart is going toward God, he's all over you, wanting the best, wanting to take care of you, wanting to set you free, wanting to participate even in giving you the grace to pull this out. But he won't do it for you. The Holy Spirit will not be a substitute for our wills. If you're waiting for God to just swoop down by his spirit and come upon your will and incline your will to do everything that he wants you to do, it's not going to happen. He'll give the power. At the moment you engage, at the moment you participate, all the power of the Godhead is released for you. Nothing more, nothing less. Nothing lacking. But we must participate. We do have a will. And he will not allow this to be a passive thing. He didn't die on the cross passively. And for us to receive the inheritance, we must participate. We don't have to work for it. We don't have to earn it. It's participate even in the ways that I'm talking about today. Agree, receive, believe. And then there's the arrow of rejection. The arrow of rejection, which was one that I had stuck in me for many, many years, over 20 years. And... Um, I pray that because of what I'm going to be sharing today and in the weeks to come, if you've got this arrow in you, it won't have to be 20 years. You'll see how it can come out much sooner. The arrow of rejection, an issue of acceptance, of course. Worth and value, yes. Has your life's experience predominantly, predominantly been one of feeling accepted and valued by significant others? Has that been your track record? Has that been your experience? If you have had a track record of predominantly been, uh, being accepted by others and um, that pretty much being your story, you are an exceptional person because I would venture to say most people have not had that experience. And to the degree you have, receive that with joy. Receive that with joy. That will help you. That won't hurt you. God still wants to be the one. He wants to be the source. But most people have not had that experience. Thus, the arrow is in them. Do you ever feel accused or condemned? Who in your life has rejected or hurt you the most? How has the rejection of others affected your opinion of yourself? It's a powerful thing, isn't it? The opinion of significant others. It's so powerful. It's amazing how we allow it to define us. But I think part of what sets us up for that is that we want to please them and without realizing it and without wanting it, we want to please them or that we want their acceptance so much that they actually uh, come to have a place that only God deserves. And it, it's really idolatry. Not because we want it to be, not because we purpose for it to be, 
But when a person, place, or thing has more power, influence, or effect on you than Jesus Christ and who he is and who he wants to be to you, it's, it's idolatry. And getting our hearts back means getting the arrows out and realizing the things we've given our hearts to. We've given our hearts away. And as you give your hearts away to other than Jesus Christ, it's hard to get your hearts back. And sometimes it's not just a matter of giving your hearts away. It's being attacked in ways we realize we haven't been attacked. We haven't really realized that we have been slimed and contaminated and even attacked by spirits of darkness that have, have uh, put fear in our hearts and sapped all the strength from us and disillusioned us and confused us. And we're not victims. But if we don't understand what's going on, we'll assume that if it's on the radar screen of my consciousness and if something's happening in me and if it's negative or if it's a failure issue or if I'm not performing, well, it must be me. It can't be anybody else. So we don't in many cases, recognize the part the enemy does play. We just assume it's all us, or we blame others, or a combo. But we don't really ever resolve it precisely. And that's what I am up to on Sunday mornings, is that we would pre precisely resolve this, get the arrows out, and make provision to come fully alive. So the arrow of rejection. Today, if someone would say to you, you're wonderful, like me, for example, what feelings or thoughts would this bring to the surface? It's the testimony of many of you who I've known for years, and I've told you for years, you're wonderful. You've told me it used to be you had a hard time receiving that. True? Isn't that right, Barb? And others. But then, Barb would also say today, she has no trouble at all receiving that. Because you agree, right? But that doesn't, think that, Bar that doesn't mean that Barb's getting a big head or anything and prideful and uh, all, any of that. She's just agreeing, and she is coming alive more and more. It's exciting. Does that mean she's going through the day singing a song to herself? I'm so wonderful, I'm so wonderful. I'm so glad I'm alive. No, it's not all about her. When you realize it's something, when you... When you come into a, a significant revelation of who you are as a son or a daughter, who are you free not to think about as much anymore? Yourself. And who are you free to think more about? Jesus and others. Well, that has great purpose, doesn't it? It's not all about thinking you're wonderful. It's all about him but as we get set free, we're, think, we're free to give him the worship he deserves. And we're free to give our lives away because the verdict is settled here. Not guilty, not only pardoned, not only a fresh start, but I have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm a son, I'm a daughter. That's better than getting let out of jail today and say, well, you know, you're still a criminal, you're still a thief, but you can go and I hope you don't end up back in here. No. Pardoned, justified, and we have the righteousness of God imputed to us to live a life pleasing to him. Oh, it's, it's, it's complete. It's complete. God's ways are complete, lacking in nothing. 1 Peter 2, 21 and following. 
Jesus was mocked and reviled. Nobody's been re rejected more than Jesus. And I'm not saying by that, well, he's the one that's been rejected the most, so you don't have anything to complain about. No, that's not what I'm saying. Just remember this, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, at all points tested, such as we are, yet without sin, the one who can empathize, nobody else really can like him, the one who has been there, the one who has faced that, the one who has passed the test, no other human being can say that, but the God-man Jesus can, all God, all man, the third person of the Trinity, the only true God, Jesus Christ, who in his humanity could have sinned, could have failed, could have bailed out at the end, could have said, okay, game over, I've had enough, you religious, uh, whitewashed sepulchers, come on, legions of angels, fry them in hell today. I've had enough. He could have done that in his humanity, but he didn't. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross and despised its shame. He was not a victim. He knew who he was. He knew why he was here. And he came to do the will of the Father. And he was determined. And we see that vividly in the movie. Though the movie isn't the Bible, but the movie, The Passion of Christ, obviously based on scriptures, that picture that has gripped my heart many, many times when on the way to Calvary in that movie that's out right now, The Passion of the Christ, where he embraced the cross. And in embracing, it was like he was embracing me. Embracing the will of the Father, embracing me. It blessed my heart so. And then on Calvary's hill, they didn't drag him there. There he was. He could hardly move. And he crawled onto the cross that was laying on the ground. That illustrates what I'm trying to say. He came to do the will of the Father. He wasn't dragged there. He wasn't a victim. He was going to get there. And he got there, and they put him up, and he was crucified, and finally he said, it is finished. And because he said that, we don't have to strive. We don't have to perform. We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to bow the knee to condemnation. We don't have to uh, wrestle with the accuser of, of the brethren every day. We can agree and receive all that he is and all that he has done for us and all that we are in him. Ephesians 1.6, to the praise of the glory of his grace wherein we are accepted in the beloved. King James Version says it so well. Believe you are accepted in the beloved. Here's kind of an acid test. If the whole human race was sneering at you today and they were saying, Stu, I can't stand you. I wish you were never born and just right on down the room, Cindy and Bob and rejection, rejection, rejection. We don't like you. We despise you. Let's say, let's take it to the ultimate. Let's take it to the ultimate that the whole human race rejected you. There are some in your life right now who do. There are some that you think do who don't. But there are some that don't like you. I'm a firm believer that if anybody likes me, it's a gift from God. It's the favor of God. I believe in the favor of God. So since I live from that premise that I'm a favored son, that anybody, if anybody likes me or loves me, <clears throat> I'm experiencing God's favor, <clears throat> which is a gift from God, I don't try to get anybody to like me, and I don't try to get anybody to keep liking me. I'm free to like them, love them, and invest in them. Not giving to get, but living to give. But when it comes to this acid uh, test, at the extreme, 
there you are. Everybody hates you. Everybody re despises you. Everybody rejects you. Are you going to say, Jesus accepts me. I'm accepted in the beloved. That's, that's enough. That satisfies. That satisfies. Does that mean we become a spiritual recluse again? Oh, I don't need anybody. I don't need anybody, so I'll just go off into the hills and the mountain. I got Jesus. He accepts me. I don't. No, 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 no. Receiving his acceptance frees you to give that away and bless people. Because you don't need them for life. You are not going to live off the fuel of their acceptance. You have the acceptance of Christ, so you'd rather bless them than be blessed by them. You'd rather tell them how wonderful they are than hope they will ever tell you that you are. The, the Lord just turns it around when you receive. You give out of what you receive. And then there's anger, an issue of submission, the arrow of anger. The issue, it's an issue of Submission. Presently, what angers you most? Is there anything bothering you even in the least? <clears throat> Are there circumstances that you're fighting even on the inside? Maybe you're not saying anything, but you're fighting it on the inside. How important are these things? How does the importance of these things, this will, this will bring it to a head. This will lay it on the line. This will bring it right to the surface here. How important how does the importance of these things or issues compare to the importance that you place on your relationship with the Lord? Because if you won't let go, if you won't settle it, if you won't forgive, if you won't process and resolve the issues of your heart, and if you need to come to a fresh start, and that's a part of the process, enter in, enter in. Don't let it go. Don't let this arrow stay. Whatever it takes to make provision to cooperate with the Holy Spirit for this to come to pass, but this is what is at stake, because if you won't let it go, then you're really making that good thing. It's good to you, apparently, because you think it ought to happen or you think it ought to change. You're making that good thing a God thing, and you're really making it more important, not intentionally, necessarily, but you're, but you're really making it more important than your relationship with him. Because if you won't let it go, it will affect your relationship with Jesus Christ adversely. Is it worth it? Is anybody worth it? Is any good thing that you want, anything that he even wants for you from somebody else, is it worth it? Or is he worth it most? Relationship with him. I hope so. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give any foothold to the devil. Submit to God. Resist the devil if you've already given him an opening. What's the antidote? Submit to the sovereign will of God, which you are really saying, because he's sovereign. It doesn't mean that here again you become passive. You're in the game. You're, in, you're engaged. You're living wholeheartedly. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to miss the mark. But God sees a heart that wants to please him, so he's pleased. And you want to fully cooperate with him. And you know you're in a war, and you're not taking it lightly, and you want to get the arrows out, and you don't want to just live on the defense all the time. You want to exercise the authority of Christ, submit to the sovereign will of God. Let God do whatever. Give him permission to do whatever he wants to do in your life. You may not like it. It may not feel good, but give him permission today to mold and shape and break you. I've, I pray this. I've prayed it over and over over the years, and I still pray it now. Whenever I'm facing something that I don't like, part of what I pray is, God, have your way with me. If it involves somebody else's life and actions or circumstances, I want the will of God to be done, yes. 
out there, here, everywhere for the glory of God, but I want him to have his way with me. And if that means breaking me some more, if that means convicting me, transforming, whatever he needs to do, have your way right here, Lord. I submit to you, whatever it takes. Submit to the sovereign will of God. And you'll have the arrow of, re of the anger out. It is, it is a destroyer to leave it in. And then the arrow of depression. There's many things that can contribute to depression. Physiological issues, yes, yes, yes. Many, we could have a whole session on this and more, but there are things that do contribute to depression. And anger is one of them, unresolved anger. The arrow of depression is an issue of hope. Do you feel down or discouraged? Are you experiencing a sense of dread in your life? Is your heart despairing? Are you feeling a sense of hopelessness? The antidote is put your hope in God, as it says in Psalm 42, verse 5. Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. What's the opposite of that? Putting our hope in other than God. And when we do that, among other things, we're going to be set up for anger. It, we're, ultimately, we're going to be trusting God or trusting ourselves. Letting God have the last say or we will have the last say. He'll be God or we'll be God. We'll be putting our hope in him or we'll be putting our hope in ourselves. There is only, there is always only two possibilities. God and us as far as who's going to have the last say and who we're going to put our hope into. What will it be today? Will you put your hope in yourself? Trust in yourself, trust in others. Or will you put your hope in him and at the same time, submitting to the sovereign will of God in the process because you don't know what the, you don't know what the outcome's going to be. We don't like that, do we? We want to know what the outcome's going to be. That is one of, the, that's the, one of the biggest tests, isn't it? Especially if I'm going to try, especially if I'm going to give myself, if I'm going to cooperate, hey, is there, is there going to be some assurance here that's going to turn out pretty good? Going to turn out pretty well? Turn out pretty favorably? On God's terms, it will turn out favorably. On God's terms, it will turn out well, but not necessarily the outcome you think and not necessarily what he would really want as the outcome because if the other person involved in the situation, you're willing and they're not, and they don't repent and obey and cooperate, that's not his will, is it? So that's not the outcome. He desires that none should perish but all come to eternal life? Do some perish? Yes. Do some never repent and do the will of God? Yes. Could it be that you'll be in relationship with some of those who will never do the will of God? <laughs> and you're wanting to do the will of God, and they never do the will of God, and that's what you're faced with. Is he going to have the outcome he wants in that relationship? No. Can he have the outcome he wants in you? Yes. Put your hope in him. And let it be enough that he has his way with you. That's all part of becoming free and becoming fully alive. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, for exposing these arrows. And Lord, I pray that each one now will fully cooperate with uh, embracing, receiving your antidotes and pulling these arrows out and receiving your healing and restoration. In Jesus' name, amen.